0: You're listening to a live recorded teaching of the Sunday Gathering at Proclamation Church in Nashville, Tennessee. We hope that this teaching reminds you of the love that Jesus has for you. To find out more about Proclamation Church or to support the mission and vision of our ministry, visit us at proclamationtn.com. Morning, loved ones. We are in uh, Romans chapter 1. Uh, verses 18 through 25 this morning. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse for though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of their mortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, so their bodies, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we have an opportunity to open up your word. I pray, God, that here in this moment, that you would speak to your people, uh, that as we understand what it means to be worshipers of God, uh, that if there are things in our lives that are keeping us from doing that, that, Father, um, that you would remove them. Uh, that you would give us, uh, through the strength of your Holy Spirit, uh, the ability to say uh, no to those things and yes to you. Um, Father, we know that uh, you are capable of doing those things, so we ask you to do it in the powerful mighty name of Jesus. Would you uh, speak through me? Would I decrease? And, Father, you increase. May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen. You guys can be seated. Well, we are in week two of a brand new series that we are kicking off called Because of Christ. If you were here with us last week, uh, well, let me just say, if you weren't with us here, uh, here with us last week, uh, we spent some intentional time talking about the beauty of the gospel, that everything that Jesus has done for us uh, through his death, burial, and resurrection has freed us to where we have an opportunity to live as, uh, as uh, free in him. Uh, in these identities that we're going to be looking over over the next few weeks, specifically, those identities are a worshiper, we're free to be worshipers, we're free to be a family member, we're free to be stewards, and we're free to be witnesses. Uh, this is made possible because of everything that Jesus has done for us, hence why we name this series Because of Christ. Uh, now today, as we talk about what it means to be a worshiper, I want to kick this off by asking us a question, how is your worship? How's your worship? I'm, I'm going to assume that as I ask that question, the first thing that comes to mind, you're thinking, well, you know, my pitch is a little off, you know, uh, I might be off tune a little bit from time to time. Uh, but that's not what I mean by asking about worship. I'm just, this isn't just about the singing of songs. In order for us to get an understanding of who we are as worshipers, we need to have a right understanding of worship. So we have a working definition for us this weekend on what we believe worship to be, okay? So this is what true worship is. Let's look at this together. True worship is experiencing God's grace and expressing gratitude for it. True worship is experiencing God's grace and expressing gratitude for it. What do I mean by that? Well, we just read a portion of Romans chapter one, and there are a few things in regards to worship that should draw our attention. The very first being is what we see in verse 18. It says, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Welcome to the idea of being a worshiper where we're going to spend time talking about God's wrath. You're welcome. Fun Sunday morning, right? Listen, can we be honest? We don't enjoy talking about the wrath of God. We don't. We don't want to spend any special attention on it. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about it. And the reason why we struggle with discussing the wrath of God is because of our flawed understanding of God's wrath, okay? We were created in the image of God. Can we all agree to that? Awesome. I'm glad you guys are with me. We can all agree to that. And so our experiences with wrath or anger directed towards us or we have given to other people clouds our understanding of the wrath of God. So for that reason, we see wrath as this uncontrolled attribute that we ascribe to God. However, we see throughout Scripture that what we understand as, uh, as what wrath is is not how God portrays it, okay? For starters, God's wrath as portrayed in Scripture does not mirror our flawed interpretation of it or our flawed interactions with it, Okay? Second, this is what I want to wrap our minds around when it comes to wrath, okay? Write this down, if it comes up there. Yes. We cannot truly understand the beauty of God's love until we understand his wrath, okay? That's just a a, a Cliff Notes version of what I have written down here. We can't truly understand the beauty and the majesty of God's love without first understanding his wrath. And finally, if we're to understand wrath, we need to understand that God is only angry or directs his wrath where anger and wrath are called for, okay? So we have to ask ourselves the question, what then is wrath directed at then? What does it look like? Well, in this text, Paul gives us an idea. Verse 19, what does he say? Since what we can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them, For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. What's being explained here is this theological reality called revelation, okay? There are two types of revelation. You have special revelation, and then there's uh, another form called general or, or natural revelation, okay? Special revelation is prophecy, visions, dreams things that are revealed to us in God's Word, okay? That's special revelation, deep theological stuff here, okay? You're welcome. You'd have to go to seminary for that, all right? But now there's general revelation or natural general uh, 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 revelation, which is, Paul, this is what Paul is getting at here in this section, where essentially general revelation is what we see and understand about God and what we see in nature and in our interactions with each other, okay? God has carefully planted these reminders of who he is in all of creation. One pastor calls these uh, God-given mnemonic devices. He says our parents, for example, are mnemonic devices to remind us of the glory of the Heavenly Father. Snow is meant to remind us of the Lord's purity and holiness. The storm is a mnemonic device to remind us of God's power and wrath. The daily rising sun is a mnemonic device to remind us of God's faithfulness. Do you get what I'm saying here? We are surrounded by the revelation of God's presence, his power, his character, and yet from this text, we see that we are easily forgetting that quite often. Why? Because we suppress the truth. We operate as if those things aren't real. We suppress truth. With what? Paul says, with a lie. So he goes on to say, for that reason, as a result, people are without excuse. Verse 21, for though they knew God, they were able to see God and, and understand God for who he is. They didn't glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless. Their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Here, we get into this idea now for all of us today that our hearts have been captured by something else and they now need to be recaptured. Our hearts have been pursuing something, and we find ourselves pursuing them, uh, pursuing those things in idols. So if you're taking notes, this is our first point for this morning, okay? You and I, we all worship something. We all worship something. How do we see all of this played out? Paul lays it out for us at the end of this section that we read in verse 25. He said, they, we, have exchanged the truth of God for a lie And worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. Paul is making a case for us here in this moment in Romans chapter 1 by saying that every single one of us, we have and we will, we had and will have the opportunity to worship God rightly. However, we choose not to. Why? Because we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Listen. I need us to to grab onto something, okay? No person ever quits being a worshiper. This, This is naturally who we are. We are all worshipers, okay? Nobody ever quits being a worshiper. We have just substituted our worship for something in the place that belongs to God. Plain and simple. We are created so that we worship something in our lives. And naturally, again, what happens is if we are not worshiping God and who he is, we will find something to sit in his place. And that's the thing that we will dedicate ourselves to. We will depend on that thing. We will magnify that thing. We will look for that thing to fulfill us and to satisfy us and to sustain us. Some replace the majesty of God's intellect for the majesty of their own intellect, right? Where where they they read things in scripture and they you know comprehend different things and they say, I don't get that. And so that's not real. That doesn't make any sense. I'm smarter than what this thing has to say. And maybe that's not the case for some of you. Maybe you just neglect the things of God because you look to money or power or that career or that family member or that relationship with that boyfriend or girlfriend, that pursuit of said relationship, to provide things for you that only God actually can provide. Security, meaning, permanence. According to this text, we know that the things that we are chasing are doing more harm to us than good. Instead, what we've done, knowing we have this feeling where something doesn't sit right, we suppress it. We continue pushing it down. We've ignored the feeling. And when we do that, check this, God has started to become irrelevant or unimportant to us. Stop and think about it. The moments where you have no desire to read God's word, the moment where you have no desire to pray, the moments when you would much rather neglect being a part of the family of God? What's going on in the background of your life? There's always something, the majority of the time, there's some sin or some idol that has elevated itself in the place of God, and so you choose to say, I don't need that other stuff. I don't need to be with God. I don't need to be in prayer with God. I don't need to be with the family of God. Truth be told, many of us in this room find ourselves in this place often, and the reason why is because we have put something in the place of God, and family, when we do that, it robs us of our joy. It snatches it away. Something we have to ask ourselves this morning is this, what is that thing that I know that I am putting in the place of God right now? What is that thing? What is that thing that's keeping you from truly worshiping God for who he is? Whatever that thing is, whatever mental note that you just made of that thing, I'm telling you now, it cannot satisfy you. It cannot sustain you. It cannot. Guess what? Money disappoints us, amen? We, we all know that because it's like, yo, these bills. <laughs> Money disappoints us because we can never have enough of it. Our, our pockets aren't deep enough. Money disappoints us. Relationships disappoint us. How many of you guys have been let down by someone? And you can raise your hand. And those who ain't raising their hand, God's watching, all right? (laughs) Relationships let us down. People let us down. Guess what, family? We let ourselves down. If you couldn't raise your hand for the relationship piece that you ain't been let down in, you can raise your hand because you let yourself down. Everything lets us down. It disappoints us. We're looking to be satisfied, and we can't do that. All these things will fail us. So if that's true, then we need to come to the realization then. Number two, point number two this morning is as worshipers, we are either going to continue to focus our hearts on that thing or, or the, the things towards God or, or that thing that we're chasing after. I said that like really wrong. That's what I meant to say, okay? As worshipers, we will either focus our hearts towards God or on something else. That makes more sense. <laughs> You'll find yourself doing that. You'll either continue running at that thing in endless pursuit, or you will run after the things of God. It's majestic. <laughs> Listen, family, because we have been wired to worship every else, everything else other than God, Paul says that God's wrath then is being revealed. If we're running after something else, if we're chasing after something else, Paul says, hey, God's wrath is being revealed on that thing. And naturally, it's being revealed on us. We touched on this a little bit earlier, but let's spend a little bit more time talking about the subject of wrath. Because when I said that's what we're gonna be talking about, all of you guys lit up. So I'm trying to give you what you wanted, okay? That's not true. Listen, we as a church, we do a phenomenal job talking about God's love, talking about his grace, his mercy, and his kindness. Praise God for that. But here's the reality. We cannot truly fathom God's love towards us without understanding God's wrath that's aimed at us first. Theologian A.W. Pink, he points out that there are more references in Scripture about anger, fury, and the wrath of God than there is about his love and tenderness. So if Scripture spends so much time talking about it, shouldn't we wrap our minds around it then? I would say yes, because here's the thing. When we do, we begin to see that this wrath is not this cruelty fueled by immorality or this vindictive attitude that God has, but it's seen as righteous judgment against the totality of sin. We have to understand that. You may have heard me say this before, or maybe you haven't because you're new. This is your first time here. If this is your first time here, hello, my name is Derek. It's nice to meet you. Welcome about wrath, okay? Here's the thing. When we question the judgment and the wrath of God, oftentimes all it reveals is that we do not understand the depths of our sin and the magnitude of his holiness. That's what that communicates. If we begin to have a proper understanding of sin and God's holiness, then and only then can we summarize why the wrath of God is necessary to begin with towards sin. Listen, sin has ruined everything, family. In fact, everything that your hearts long for Sin is ruined. Ch- check this. Our hearts are like compasses, right? And they're, they're constantly searching for, for true north, regularly and consistently. And oftentimes our hearts are going to tug us this way because we're like, oh, well, this is true, no- tr- true north. Our hearts are going to tug at us this way because we feel like, oh, well, that's true north. Our hearts crave true north. What is your heart pointing to? We long for health, right? We want to be healthy. But guess what? Sin brings sickness and disease. We come to realize, well, maybe that's not where True North is then. We long for security. We chase after that. What happens? Sin brings uncertainty. We long for comfort. Sin brings discomfort. We long for peace. Sin brings about abuse. Everything that our hearts crave for that should be found in God, sin has ruined it. And God's wrath is aimed at it. There's this line in this text that we have to pay attention to. It's the very first part. Of verse 18 that we read. What does it say? For God's wrath is revealed. Another translation says that God's wrath is being revealed. If that's the case, what is Paul getting at here? Well, this is something that we need to understand, okay? There's a wrath that is being revealed, and then there's a coming day of judgment where that wrath will be fully understood, okay? That, that wrath that is coming eventually to, that's going to be fully understood is the day of judgment, okay? where where there's going to be no opportunity for repentance at that point, but we are in this season right now where God's wrath is being revealed, where we're getting glimpses of his wrath. We we look around and we see the effects of it, but we're not seeing the full totality of it, and guess what, family? That's God's grace to us. Let's remember that piece there, okay? So with that in mind, how are we seeing glimpses of it? I'm gonna give you three illustrations on how we see it right now. Number one is death. Number number one is death. When you go all the way back to uh, Genesis, right? When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were chilling and grilling, they were walking around with God and communion with him, right? And what happens? God says, yo, if you eat of this fruit, what will happen? What did he say? You will surely die, right? I think that's the KJV version, right? You're going for real, for real, die. He says. And they were like, they were like, all right, well, we won't do that. But then what did they do? They did that. <laughs> they ate said fruit, and now death has come in. And since then, we have seen the effects of death over and over and over and over and over again, right? In fact, if you were here with us last week, we looked at Romans chapter uh, 15. And in Romans chapter 15, it says, by one man, sin and death came in, into the world, right? But by another who is Christ, life and righteousness has come, right? But before that life and righteousness came, death came, and we all have experienced it in some way, shape, or form. And right in the middle of that text, Romans 5:16, right in the middle of it, you see that death is called judgment and condemnation, which is a, another way of saying this is God's wrath. This is God's wrath. So you can see that death is this judgment and condemnation. It's this expression of God's wrath against sin. Then in the middle of it, you see through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. We've all seen it. So we see that the wrath of God has been revealed through death. What's another way that we see it? The brokenness of our world. We see this wrath coming out in the brokenness of our world. In, in reading Romans chapter 8, we see this uh, this terminology uh, that creation is groaning with this eager expectation where creation is like, yo, this sucks. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that shouldn't be going on, and, and, I'm, and I'm ready. I'm, I'm waiting to see this redemption take place. In, in fact, the text in Romans 8, it says uh, that, that creation was subjected to futility, but there's a line in there that oftentimes we just read over. It was subjected in, uh, to, fu- uh, to futility in hope, it says. What's that hope? That's an odd statement, right? Right? In light of the gospel, God showed his wrath against sin, subjected it to uh, creation, to futility, but that's not the last word. We know that hope is coming. Going back to this idea, going back to the garden, what took place? When when death entered in and and God's like, all right, well, death is gonna happen, but he said, yo, but there's one coming that's gonna crush the head of the serpent. There's hope that's coming, where restoration is going to take place. The misery and the futility of the world we live in is owing to God's subjection creation to, uh, to futility. It's a testimony of God's wrath against sin, though, which then leads us to the third thing here, where we see God's wrath being revealed, the sin in our own lives. The sin in our own lives. Listen, sin. Sin isn't just something that is happening out there. It's something that's happening in here. Every single one of us can give a testimony to that. It takes place in our own lives. We need to come to the realization that when we talk about sin's effects, We are not immune to them. We are broken. Scripture is clear that because of sin, none of us are righteous. None of us are righteous. That because of sin, our hearts are deceitful and can't be trusted. (laughs) My heart is deceitful? That's not what Elsa told me, right? Maybe she didn't say that. Which one did she say? One of these Disney characters said, trust your heart, right? Okay, just me, all right. She said me she told me to let it go. There it is. Somebody said trust your heart. That's all I'm saying. Moana. Moana, thank you. Make way, make way. That's it, right? She told me to trust my heart. I can't do that, Moana. It's deceitful. It's going to lead me astray. Right? <laughs> I'm going to watch that movie later on. That was a good movie though. Man. It was. Can we talk about how, like, when she's singing to, like, the big little goddess thing, and he's like, yo, give me your heart. That's, that's the gospel moment. Redemption in all things, praise God. Why, why am I here? Why didn't I get there? All right, all right. <laughs> First time guest, I'm sorry. All right. Our hearts are deceitful. That's where I was. Our hearts are deceitful. We can't trust it. So if our hearts are deceitful, if we have sin in our lives, guys, what do we do with this? We're we're broken. And and in fact, Paul actually goes down later on in Romans chapter one, verses 29 through 31. He actually gives us a list that's not really, you know, it's not that long. It's it's, it's a short list, right? It includes these things, but it's not limited to these things that, that affect us. This is what he says about us. We're gonna be filled with all unrighteousness evil, greed, wickedness. We're full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice. We're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Dang, Paul, back up a little bit, brother. He's like, no, this is who we are. Apart from God, this is who we are. What does this list show us? we are guilty, we're guilty. First off in this list, we see a ton of self-centeredness, right? Stop and think about that. If we're not worshiping God, we're left with no other agenda other than to worship ourselves. (laughs) And this is what we see happening here. This shows out most, let's stop and think about it. This is how you know you're self-centered. When things don't go your way, right? You often get frustrated, don't you? If you don't want to admit it, I'll admit it for you. We all get frustrated when things don't go our way. What that shows is we're centered on self, which communicates that we're also entitled. We operate in pursuit of what we think we need or deserve or have a right to. And once we think we deserve something or have a right to those things, we demand it and we find ourselves in positions of judging the love of God or the love of others on us based off how they give the things that we feel like we're entitled to. Is that just me? (laughs) Thank you, Rachel. Like this, we out here, right? But then, you want to know what that shows? It fuels discontentment. That the things that God gives us, we're like, man, that's not good enough. I need something else. Listen, a, content, a contentment that is life, uh, that is battle-tested in the middle of life's uncertainties, it finds its proper foundation in worship, okay? When that's not happening, what that communicates is it shows us that we want to be in control, that that we don't like the way that life has shaped out for us, right? And we want to be in control. Guess what? God's in control. He has to be in control. He's over all things. And then when we try to take over the responsibility, we find ourselves rejecting truth. And this list can go on and on and on. This is who we are. This is who we are. And if God, who he is, and what he's done for us through Jesus Christ is not at the center of how we operate, we will unfortunately find ourselves rejecting who God is forming us to be in Jesus because we want to form ourselves. Plain and simple, apart from Jesus, we are sinners. Family, we have sin inside of us and the root and the source of everything that we think, desire, choose, and operate to live in is fueled by sin. It's the reason why we have conflict and dysfunction in our lives. It's the reason why we put ourselves in creation in the place where only God belongs. And it's why, as worshipers, we're going to worship the wrong thing. It's the war of all wars. Choosing something else over the things of God. And it's these things that God says that his wrath is aimed at. Why? Why? It's ruined his perfection. It's ruined everything that was right. It's ruined our ability to be in relationship with him. We are in a forever battle with our desires. But thankfully, family, God in his grace has made it possible for us to escape that wrath. Listen, I need you to hear me say this as clearly as possible. It does not bring God pleasure to see the destruction or the calamity of people. You hear me? It doesn't bring him pleasure to see destruction of people. How can I say that? 2 Peter 3, 9, what does it say? The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is what? Patient with you. Not wanting any to perish, but what? That all come to repentance. Remember how I said earlier that his wrath is being revealed? That's his patience to you. That's his patience to us. Yo, we could easily be snuffed out. But he's like, no, I'm giving you an opportunity to repent. Hearing this text right now is God's grace to you. Sitting in this seat hearing this is God's grace to you. It just simply is. He doesn't desire for you to perish. This is mercy to us, family. One pastor was quoted as saying this, God delights in mercy and his judgment and wrath is his strange work. That, that It's his strange work. It's not what he prefers to do. I, I got to do it, but I'm trying to give you this mercy first. I'm trying to give you this grace first. I need you to acknowledge that I'm being patient with you. I need you to see that I'm, I'm drawing you back to true worship because you're running after the things that are only going to continue to disappoint you. So if wrath is this strange work, then how do we bypass this wrath? What's this patience and this grace and this mercy look like to us? Romans 5, 8 and 9. God has proved his love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were still drunks, while we were still out here looking at pornography, while we were out here being backbiters, while we were being gossipers, while we were being liars, while we were being slanderers, while we were being adulterers, while we were in start doing whatever thing that you don't want to be known about you, while we were doing those things, Christ died for us. He he called us to be his own. While we were doing these things, he died for us. How much more than since we now, once we've placed our faith in the work that Christ has done for us on the cross, since we now have an opportunity to be justified by his blood, we'll be saved through him from what? Wrath. There ain't no more wrath for us, family. When you trust in Christ and who he is and what he's done for you, wrath bypasses you. Family, through Jesus Christ, we have an opportunity, this text says, to be justified. That's a legal term. To be justified means that we have the chance to be forgiven and accepted as righteous, even though we know we ain't righteous. (laughs) We're far from it. But now because of Jesus, guess what? I'm super righteous. I'm super blameless. And it's not based off anything that I've done, but everything that Jesus has done for me. Paul also shares in Romans chapter 3 that we have redemption in Jesus who was put forth as a propitiation for our sins. That's a fancy word, ain't it? What does that even mean? It means that Jesus was the sacrifice that was that absorbed God's wrath for us. Plain and simple. He took on our sin on the cross. All God's wrath was aimed at Christ on the cross, canceling our debt. All the debt that we had, why? Because we were the ones suppressing truth. We were the ones exchanging truth for lies. We were doing it. And Jesus says, nah, I'm gonna take that for you. That's what it means to be a propitiation. Family, what that means then is that the barrier between God's wrath and us is Christ on the cross in between. This is what this looks like, bear with me, okay? I'm not a big hockey fan, but I love watching hockey in person. Okay, and here's the thing about hockey in person. It's so entertaining, right? it has been like maybe one or two times that I've been like really close to the, to the ice, right? And what's always surrounding the ice? Glass. Why? Because these dudes are coming in fast. They are coming in hot. Now, for the sake of illustration, you may have seen it, but I've never seen it. I have yet to see one of these guys pummel through the glass and land onto one of the, uh, uh, the fans watching the game. I haven't seen it yet, right? They're super strong. It probably might, could happen, but I haven't seen it happen yet. Listen, Christ is the glass for us. God's wrath is that Canadian coming through hot. (laughs) And we are the fans sitting in like, yo, I get to enjoy the benefits of being a follower of Jesus. There ain't nothing coming my way. There's nothing coming my way. That's God's grace to us, family. What does that look like for us to enjoy it? That means what true worship is that I said earlier. It is truly experiencing God's grace and then expressing gratitude for it. We we see it, we feel it, and yo, we respond rightly to it. Do you remember what I said earlier at the very beginning of this morning? We can't understand the scope of God's love for us without understanding his wrath without understanding the force that's coming our way. But now that we understand the love that we have, that he would give his son in our place for us, that should fuel our worship family. That should fuel our true worship. But here's the thing, according to this text, we've spent the majority of our lives suppressing truth, worshiping the wrong things. If that's true, then that makes sense then to assume that we have to relearn what it means to worship God rightly. We were created with hungry hearts, and every one of our hearts have their own acquired tastes. Remember what I was talking about earlier, true, no, true north? We're all trying to find something that's going to satisfy us and please us, and Jesus is offering himself to us. In fact, in John six thirty-five, he says, I'm the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. Your heart's hungry? Guess what? Feast on me? You ain't going to be hungry no more. The one who believes in me? Guess what? Your heart's thirsty? Your heart's not going to be thirsty anymore feast on me, take me in, the question we have to ask ourselves this morning then is this, how do we recalibrate our hearts to worship rightly then? If all this is true, how do we go about doing that? Listen, I'm running out of time. I'm going to give you this really quick, okay? Every single time you see the concept of worship in scripture, it involves some form of prayer, thanksgiving in the name of Jesus, the reading, preaching, and the hearing of God's word, the administration, and the receiving of the sacraments, the ministry and maintenance of spiritual disciplines in our lives. That's what it looks like. Listen, there is a reason why we spend time in God's word. There's a reason why this moment right here is so important for us. This should not just be this checkbox situation here in this moment. This right here is an opportunity for your hearts to be recalibrated to truth. Why? Because Monday through Saturday, you're hearing so many other things that's pulling you away from truth That's that's giving you opportunities to continue to suppress truth. And so every single day of our lives, we have to put ourselves in positions to be reminded of God's grace. Listen, what what this communicates is this, okay? This revelation, this special revelation that God has given us where we have opportunities to pray and to read his word and to come to church and to worship, right? These are ways that God is providing to us and opportunities for our hearts to be recaptured. So what that means, this is less about something that you have to do and more about what God is doing through you in these things. He's giving you an opportunity to worship. Loved ones, what this means is that we have to unlearn the unhealthy practices and habits we have formed suppressing truth. For this to take place, we have to actively experience Jesus in regular patterns, regular rhythms in our lives. I would go so far as to say it's liturgy where's this repetitive thing regularly happening, right? Listen, I can know about the things of Jesus, but if I'm not seeking to actively nurture my heart and my mind of the things of Jesus, guess what? I'll miss out on Jesus. I'll miss out on what I was created to be to begin with, to be a true worshiper. Listen. I told you last week, I was wrapping up 75 hard, right? I'm done with 75 hard. I promise I'm gonna try my best to not keep on using illustrations about 75 hard, right? But I can't make any promises, right? I said I'm gonna try, right? But here's the thing, when I was was doing the 75 hard stuff, something I've never done before that I've realized that I do now is when I go grocery shopping or the things that I eat, I'm always looking at the nutritional facts on the back, right, this is something that I do now, right? It's kinda nerdy, but I was like, yo, this got sugar. I don't need that, right? This has got a lot of calorie intake. I don't need that. Did you guys know that there's a ton of calories in one scoop of peanut butter on a spoon? I'm glad y'all didn't know it. I didn't know it, right? Cause here's the thing, I didn't care. It went fun, it was great with Oreos. So I'm smothering all over the place. It didn't bother me, not one bit. But now I'm more self-aware, I'm conscious. And I'm like, all right, maybe I'll just get like a little nibble of peanut butter on these 25 Oreos instead of a whole scoop, right? I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, right? Here's what I'm getting at, guys. When we truly, we we can know the things about Jesus, right? We can surround ourselves with the things about Jesus. We can read the nutritional facts about the things of Jesus. But unless we actively choose to partake of Jesus, guess what? We're not going to be true worshipers. We're not going to really experience him for who he is and what he's doing in our lives. Listen, we can know the content about Jesus, but we have to partake in him. And one of the ways that we do that, family, is with each other, with the body of Christ, with the church. The church is the place where God invites us to renew our loves, to reorient our desires and retrain our appetites towards him. The church is the household where the spirit feeds us, meets us where we are and where we need to be by his grace. We become people who desire him above everything else. Christian worship is the feast that we have now. where where our appetites have been changed and we have acquired new hungers for God and for what God desires, and then, then we go out and we proclaim who Christ is in an environment that does not understand who God is. Family, what we do here every single weekend matters. Coming together for corporate worship matters. Being in the Word of God matters. Praying matters. I don't know if you caught it, some of you guys are catching on to this, right? But as we read God's word, I says, hey, hey, this is the word of the Lord, and and how are you guys responding now? You're starting to pick up on it, what do you say? Thanks be to God. You know what that is? That's God's grace, and you're showing gratitude for it. It's God's grace that you have an opportunity to hear God's word, right? Why? Because all throughout the week, you've been hearing stuff from your from your, from uh, your internal judges. You've been hearing things from your friends. You've been hearing things from your coworkers. You've been hearing things from your neighbor and your boss. And they're telling you all these different things. They're telling you all these lies. And you have an opportunity to hear the truth of God's word. And that is an opportunity. That is a grace to you. Your response then is what? Gratitude. <laughs> Praise be to God. Thank you, God, for your word. Because there was at one point in my life, I wasn't even listening to it. I wasn't even attuned to it, but now I hear it and it changes me, it transforms me. Praise be to God. Thank you, grace and gratitude, it's true worship. Man, I'm hot right now, I need to hurry up because I'm doing a lot right now, okay? When I say these things, these things like like prayer and Bible study and, and corporate gatherings, when I say these things, listen, we naturally assume that all that stuff is just mundane. Like, is it really that vital? Is it really that important? I tell you what: you spend the next two weeks regularly getting up and praying, regularly meeting God in His Word, regularly coming to church, and you tell me what difference it makes for you. Because you're seeing something, you you're realizing that you need this. That is transforming you in such a way that's bringing glory and honor to God. Guys, if we miss out on an opportunity to have our hearts recalibrated for worship through the repetition of ordinary practices, we'll find ourselves going back to the junk and missing out on our lives, being shaped and transformed by God's grace. So I'll ask again, like I did at the very beginning, how's your worship? How is your worship? Where are you showing grace and gratitude? Where is grace being shown to you and you're showing gratitude? What does that look like for you? Listen, why don't you bow your heads? As you're doing that, there are two groups of people in here there are those who would say that you understand the beauty and the reality of the gospel given to you. That when I mention God's grace to you, you're saying, yes, thank you, God. You've said that, but you have found yourself kind of retreating back to the things of the world. That, that maybe today, right now, in this, in this moment, that you have an opportunity to be like, you know what? I know that God's wrath has passed from me onto Christ. I know that I'm forgiven. I know that nothing but mercy and righteousness and holiness is is set aside for me. Maybe you just need to worship God for who he is, for giving you that opportunity. And you leave out of here today with, with a praise on your lips, joy in your heart, because of everything that God has done for you. But maybe there's another group of people in here that when I say, hey, what's your worship like? You automatically know that you are still worshiping the things of the world that you have yet to taste and see that the Lord is good. And if that's you, man, I need you to hear again that God has been gracious to you. That you hearing him right now beckoning you to come and taste and see that he's good for yourself is his grace to you. And my loving challenge for you today, family, is this. Don't squander that grace. Don't leave out of here making a decision where you're just going to continue to ignore, where you're going to continue to choose the things of the world over the things of God. He is coming to you, and he's saying, yo, come to me. I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you comfort. I'm going to give you joy. I'm going to give you the opportunity to not have wrath passed on to you. You see, we all experience wrath in some way. But praise God for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to experience that full wrath. And so if, you, if you're if you not sure if you're going to experience that or not, we want to talk with you. We want to give you an opportunity to partake in true worship. Don't leave out of here without making that decision. Father, we thank you that we have an opportunity to open up your word. Man, what an opportunity that we have to worship you. We are unworthy. We don't deserve this grace, but you've poured it lavishly on us. I pray, God, that that would change our hearts. It would change our posture, the way that we live our lives, that we are bring complete glory and honor to you for everything that you've done for us. We thank you for your grace. Lord, receive our gratitude. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.